this. I can't do that. You know what you're saying? I interpret that, dear brother, to say somewhere in your life you've missed that which creates eagerness and desire to serve God, and that is created alone with him. You may be motivated by others, but there's something about the inner motivation and eagerness that develops in the life of a believer when he's alone with God for which there's no substitute. The next thing is expectation. Listen, you just get along with yourself and with the Lord Jesus Christ and you bring some problem to him and, and tell him how big it is or how small it is or how expensive it is. Listen, if you'll just be quiet and listen to him and focus your attention upon him and trust him, he will create faith expectation in your life like you've never dreamed of. Because you see, it is his will that you and I be excited about his work. And you can add that one excitement about the Lord Jesus Christ's work, eager to get it done, excited and thrilled about what the Lord's going to do in your life. And then the last thing is expression. Listen, do you remember in Acts chapter 4 when uh, Peter and John were before the council and they were getting ready to be tried? And the scripture says that uh, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, looked upon them and uh, they saw that they were unlearned and ignorant men. But listen, and they looked upon them and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Listen. You listening carefully? There is nothing. There is nothing that will so lift the veil and the shade from your countenance and allow people to see something of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life like being alone with him. You know why? The more you look at him, the more of his life is going to be reflected in your countenance. If you let sin and hurry and busyness just cut the light out of your face what do you have a shadow and it may be that most of us are walking with a shadow because we've not looked at him long enough to have any radiance of our countenance like unto him the last thing i want you to notice is this and that is the plan for fellowship with him four little simple words write them all down four little simple words of how to develop that fellowship with him the first one is to hide away just hide away. It may be your bedroom, your living room, your bathroom, wherever you can get by yourself. But find you a place where you can just get away. Hide away. Secondly, hold before you the Lord Jesus Christ. Just look to him. You say, well, suppose it's dark. That's all right. You just visualize the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can hold him before you, not only in the vision of your mind, but also in the truth of his word. As you look upon the word, as you read of his works and his ministry among men, what happens? Here's what happens. God just takes those printed words off the page. He puts them in your eye, into your mind. They become a part of your life. And what are you doing? As you hold him and who he is before you, the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ just increases in your life. Hide away, first of all. Hold him before you and then hear what he says. Listen, you have to be quiet if you're going to fellowship with God. You can't do all the talking. If you do all the talking, that's a monologue. That's not a fellowship. But a fellowship is two people being able to give themselves away each to the other. And my friend, he will give himself to you, unfold himself to you, be intimate in your life like you've never dreamed of. Hide away, hold him before you, hear what he says. And the last thing is to heed what he says. And that is, the mean by, I mean by that simply to obey what he tells you. Hide away and just get along with him. That's what he did. He held the Father before him because that's where his conversations and his listening was directed. And then he heard what the Father said and he obeyed the Father's will. And if you remember those four things, 
and determine in your life that because you want to be effective for God as a disciple, you're going to put him where he belongs. Fellowship with him first. And my friend, something will happen in your life. And you see, he didn't explain it. He just said priority number one is quiet, intimate fellowship with him. That's priority number one. And when that priority is right, everything else in your life is going to begin to fall into its proper perspective and your life is going to be fruitful. There's going to be fulfillment. There's going to be happiness and joy. The strain's going to be gone. You're going to be able to work longer hours. You're going to be able to enjoy what God wants you to do. Everything begins to fall in its proper place. When, my friend, fellowship with him is first. There is no way to describe, almost as if it were an osmosis, what happens when you get alone with him and you are able to shut out the world and concentrate on him. And the world's all shut out, and it's just you, you and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you give him yourself, and there's no sin between you, there's no guilt in your life, everything is heavenly pure between you and God. There is an intimacy, a warmth, an energizing, an empowering, an effectiveness, a fulfillment, a satisfaction, a joy, a peace that passeth all understanding. And everything I've mentioned is what everybody in here is looking for. And I just told you where to get it. And how to get, you know, the wonderful thing about it is that you don't have to have anybody else. You don't have to read any books. You don't have to get anybody else to agree. All you've got to do is to get along with him and tell the Lord, Lord, I just want to be your friend. That's all. I just want you to do with me whatever you want to do, and I just want you to speak to my heart, and whatever you want to say to me, I'm willing to listen to it. Listen. Fellowship is essential to effective discipleship. Thank you for listening to In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. A fruitful Christian life depends on a close relationship with Jesus. While we can do things that look good on the outside, true spiritual impact flows from the life of God himself. To listen again, click on Today on Radio at InTouch.org. We trust Dr. Stanley's series on discipleship has given you clearer understanding of the difference between believing in Jesus and closely following Him. To keep studying, search the resources on our website. Open our online bookstore if you'd like to order a copy of Dr. Stanley's complete message, The Disciples' Fellowship, or order his entire teaching set, called to be a disciple. Again, you'll find these resources at intouch.org or call 1-800-IN-TOUCH. To write to us, address your letter to In Touch, Post Office Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia, 30357. Being an effective servant of the Lord starts with prayer. Keep listening for today's Moment with Charles Stanley. How far are you willing to go to trust God? With my family. With my home, my future. When things are going great. And when things are going not so great. I'm willing, but just don't know how to completely trust God. If you and I genuinely love Him, and if we really believe that His love is perfect, we will indeed trust Him in the most difficult times. Can you still trust God by Dr. Charles Stanley? Order yours today. Go to intouch.org slash store. You're listening to In Touch, 
powerful teaching and preaching isn't based on charisma. It flows from a life that is connected to God. Here's A Moment with Charles Stanley. The most important room in this church is a little room about six by eight off of my study. It's a prayer room. And let me tell you something. When it doesn't happen in there, it won't happen out here. And I want to tell you, my friend, in your home, when it doesn't happen in your home somewhere, it won't happen in the living room, the bedroom, the kitchen, the dining room, the family room, or anywhere else. Our effectiveness for God can be pigeonholed in that little place where you and I fellowship with Him. And when that fellowship is right, somehow everything else begins to be just right. There is no human explanation for that. You can learn more about the powerful benefits of a close relationship with Jesus Christ at intouch.org. Tomorrow on In Touch, you can try to figure out what to do on your own or seek God and let Him guide you. I hope you'll join us for Friday's reminder that God's way is the best way on In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. This program is a presentation of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia, and remains on this station through the grace of God and your faithful prayers and gifts. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Pixar's WALL-E has proven to be among the most profound and prophetic films of the last 20 years. After hopelessly polluting the Earth and leaving an army of robots to clean up the planet, humans now live aboard a giant ship built by a company that promises to take care of all of its passengers' needs. Thus, humans are left with nothing really to do but to amuse themselves and to eat a lot. Many Christians wrote off the Pixar classic at the time because of its hyper-environmentalist message. However, the film's commentary on human exceptionalism and vocation, specifically the inability of machines to do our most important work for us, well, that was spot on. In the world of WALL-E, human beings have a purpose, or a telos, that cannot be reduced to just maximizing comfort, safety, and convenience. In the biblical account of reality, humans exist to glorify and love God, to serve as his special representatives and co-rulers in creation. Human invention should help us toward achieving those ends. Our devices cannot and should not try to replace us, as if humanity is the central problem in this world, that which needs to be solved. Recently, in First Things, Matthew Crawford argued that an anti-human worldview, like the one that was parodied in WALL-E, now dominates our tech and governing classes. Those who are behind everything, from smartphone apps to pandemic policies, share a basic belief that human beings are inferior to machines. We are thought to be, as he put it, stupid, obsolete, fragile, and of course hateful. Crawford opens the essay with an example of a driverless car that was created by Google which froze at a four-way stop. Apparently, the drivers around the car didn't behave as it had been programmed to expect. However, rather than admit the limits of the car's artificial intelligence, one Google engineer remarked that what he'd learned through the whole incident is that humans need to be less idiotic. The premise here is that humans are not the crown of creation. They are problems to be solved. Of course, it is quite possible that once we've worked out all the bugs, driverless cars will lead to less accidents and less road deaths. However, one of the bugs that will need to be worked out here are those programmers who hate humans. And that makes the point of this essay just ring more true. 
C.S. Lewis saw this impulse decades ago, and he recognized how it would grant growing power to certain people at the expense of others. It was in his masterpiece, The Abolition of Man, that Lewis warned of those he called the conditioners, those who considered themselves above such common human frailties. Of course, as Lewis pointed out, the conditioners themselves are also human, but they're in denial that they, too, are vulnerable to the same frailties as everyone else. Their danger lies in the fact that they are oblivious about their own frailties, especially their moral ones. It's good, actually, that humans have bodies which limit us to one location at a time and to the need for food and to sleep and to friendship. These limits are parts of our design, and because we're designed, we have to be guided by values, not mere algorithms. As Wally got mostly right, technology is good, but needs a telos, a purpose for existing. That purpose cannot be to replace or to transcend or to circumvent God's good design for human beings. In short, technology and public policy should be human-shaped, not the other way around. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Shane Morris. For more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Hi, this is John Stone Street from Breakpoint. I'll be hosting a Breakpoint Forum on Tuesday, September the 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern on Christian nationalism. It'll feature panelist Rusty Reno, editor at First Things, and Hunter Baker, the Dean of Arts and Sciences at Union University. They'll help us understand this confusing topic while also providing a clear vision of Christian citizenship. It's completely free, but you need to register in order to attend. You can register online today by going to breakpoint.org forum.